I'm going to look at the passage uh, from Hebrews again. And for those of you that may be visiting this morning, I've been going through the, the, the book of Hebrews, and we're really marking a little bit of a transition here. But as I approach this text at the beginning of my studies, I realize that in my mind, I often think of, of myself or other people. The expectations that we have sometimes for life kind of reminds me of those old Burger King commercials and the slogans, have it your own way. We can sometimes think as we go through life that we should always be able to have things in our own way. Carl Truman, in his new book, which I would recommend to anyone here, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, This is what he writes at the beginning of his book. We now live in a world in which it is increasingly easy to imagine that reality is something that we can manipulate according to our own wills and desires, rather than reality being something that we necessarily need to conform ourselves to. In other words, he's saying in this world of virtual reality, we sometimes think that's real. Or self-creation is a routine part of our present lives. And I, I do think it's important for all of us to remember that all human beings will struggle with how we are to live in this world. What it means to be happy, what it means to be fulfilled, what does it mean to live a significant life. But the passage that we're about to read here this morning in, in Hebrews 10 Our passage, which is God's word, it can help us conform ourselves to what's happened in reality with the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, rather than seeking to manipulate our circumstances, our situations, and only hoping for the best. You see, in other words, our passage this morning, I think, is helpful in saying this. You can live in the reality of what God has done in Jesus Christ, or you can seek to have it your own way, but you can't have both. That's what I want us to consider this morning. Are we considering our lives in light of what God has done in space and time with the person of Jesus Christ, or are we, even as Christians who are aware of that, Are we still seeking to have it our own way? And this passage is really, really clear. You can't have it both ways. So let's look at this passage beginning in verse 19, chapter 10 of Hebrews. Let me read it for us, God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment 
a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who sets aside the law of Moses or set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pray. Father, in heaven, we ask this morning, even as we do every Sunday, that you would open up your word to our hearts, our minds, that we would better understand what it is that you've done in the person of Jesus Christ, that we would better understand what it means to live in light of the gospel. Help us this morning to see Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. So this is a, a pivotal part uh, of Hebrews. He's, he's bringing to a conclusion all that he said about a better covenant, a better high priest. And he's about to begin all the practical implications of what it means because of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want us to look at two things from this passage. First of all, the power that we have now available to us because we're living in the new covenant, because we have the the new and better high priest who is Jesus. That is the power. But of course, there is also the other side of the coin, which is the peril of life without Christ. And it's one or the other. It really, it truly is. We can't have it both ways. And I, I do wonder if some people will hear that as being harsh or blunt. But the fact of the matter is, if it's true, we have to say it. So let's look at this passage. First of all, the power of what it means to live in light of the new covenant, the age that we are now living in. First of all, verse 19. Brothers, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. He talks about the the new and living way that's been opened up because of the death of Christ, the great priest. It's a summary of what's gone before in basically 8, 9, and and previously in 10. This word confidence is really important. Part of the power that we have because of Jesus Christ is a certain confidence as Christians. I like to refer to it as a a certain kind of holy boldness. The picture that I want you to get here is this. Say that you have a father who is a really important person in a community with an important job, and he has the respect of all the people that live around him. The community in some measure realizes that their lives are dependent upon the blessings of this individual person. But this individual, he also has an eight-year-old daughter. And that eight-year-old daughter is the apple of her father's eye. You know what she does when she wants to go see her father? Say he's working in his office one day and the doors are closed. You know what she does? She doesn't knock on those doors. She bangs through those doors. She goes around the desk. She throws herself into her father's lap. She looks into his eyes and she simply says, Daddy, I love you. 
And everybody else around that's watching this scene, you know what they're saying? Wow, I wish I could do that. That is the confidence that we are talking about as we enter into the presence of God. We're not talking about a normal, fallen, broken, sinful man in an earthly place. We're talking about the perfect, holy, righteous God of the universe. And this is something that up to this point, no one else could do in this way. Certainly, the Old Testament saints could be with God because God was with them, but they couldn't go with the confidence that we have as Christians this morning. What the people were, were once not enabled to do because of the Old Testament sacrifices and the Old Testament system, we're not only, this morning here, you and me, we're not only encouraged to go and draw near to God, we are actually expected to. And we're justified in doing it. Not because we've done anything to earn it, but solely on the merits and the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the new and living way that Jesus Christ has ushered in into this world that we can go into the presence of God with confidence. There are three things that this confidence should bring us that, that really help us enter into the reality that Jesus Christ has ushered in. We can draw near in faith. We can hold fast with hope. And we're to consider what it means to stir one another up into love. So let us look at those three things very, very quickly. First of all, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith because our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Realize here a true heart. He's not talking about simply ethics or morality like we're true. He's talking like an arrow shooting straight, meaning we have one single-minded purpose and that is to draw near to God the Father. And the reason that we can have confidence to draw near in faith is we don't have to run anymore. We don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to try to do it on our own. We, let me say it like this. We don't have to try to create our own reality of being acceptable because we've been made acceptable. This is a powerful truth that we do not believe on a day-in, day-out basis. There is an inward reality of the cleansing away of our sin and our sinful condition, and no matter what, we are free to enter into God's presence. So the way I want us to think about it this morning is there is a reality that we are to be conformed to for those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That reality is that we don't have to try to make up why God loves us. We don't have to manipulate the world so that they think we're good. We're not in and of ourselves, but God has made us good. We rest by faith that we have been declared righteous and we have been made good, and that is true, whether you feel like it or not. That's the first thing. Let us draw near in faith with full assurance that God loves you. Secondly, verse 23, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So we can now enter into God's presence. We can go before the throne of grace, even in front of the world, and hold fast to God's promise for our future. The reality for you and me as brothers and sisters in Christ is that your tomorrow is secure. 
And we have to acknowledge that in one sense, we don't control much about tomorrow, do we? I mean, you control enough that if you set your alarm clock, you can get up, you can go to work, you can get your kids up, you can do those things. But ultimately, when it gets much further beyond that, you really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The beautiful thing about this is you don't have to. No matter what you're facing, God is at work. Your future is secure. There will be a time when everything is made right. But up until that time, we have a great high priest living in the age of the new covenant, and we have everything that we need to secure our future. So we don't have to worry about our bank accounts. We don't have to worry about what may happen in our jobs tomorrow. We don't even have to worry about what may happen in our relationships with other people. Our future is secure. And it's not because we're faithful. It's because God is faithful. Lastly, let us consider, and we'll talk about that in just a second, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In case you think when you talk about drawing near uh, to God in faith and holding fast to the hope that you have, in case you think it doesn't matter how we live here today, tomorrow, and the rest of our time here on earth, the writer says, because of God's work, because of what God has ushered in in the person of Jesus Christ, we now have the power and the ability to love and serve other people in this world today. That's what it means to consider. Consider how to stir up one another to faith and good works or to love and good works. It means figure it out. And see, me figuring it out, how to stir up another person into love and good works, it looks one way to me, it'll look another way to you, but we're all called to figure it out. And I need to say this, a failure to love will always show itself in selfish individualism. That's what's happening in, in, in the letter to the Hebrews. They're more worried about themselves than they are the community of God. The reality of Christian love is demonstrated first and foremost here in the context of the local community of believers. See, evidently, they're neglecting the habit of meeting together in their corporate worship. And that doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're at home watching on live screen because, because people are sick and they can't come in. They're thinking that it's too much trouble. They're thinking that other people will think bad of them. Or it's not a priority. The reason why church is so important, it's, I can speak for all the pastors here, it's not because we think we're great preachers. I, I, the musicians are great, but... But that's not the reason why church is important. Worship, gathering together, the community of God is important because this is where we learn to live out the gospel. This is where we learn to love one another. And if we're not doing it here, then anything we do on the outside is just a farce. We're just pretending. 
If we don't love the people we worship with, then we certainly aren't going to truly love the other people who we only come across every so often. I, I do believe this. The lie of worldly love is I'm going to be nice to that fellow over there or show them how much I love them, but never really get involved with their lives. Because what happens is we go home and then we feel real good about ourselves and we really don't know what's happening. Consider how we are to stir up one another to love and good works, and we have to be together to do that. And I realize it's been hard, but there, there are things that we can do. One of the things that, that I thought about saying us here, but I'm going to say me, because but then you apply it to yourself as necessary. One of the things that COVID has shown me, I'm not really as loving as I think I am. Everybody has a different opinion, but I think I'm right. I am called here as a Christian, not just as a pastor, to consider how to stir up one another to love. And quite honestly, to stir up one another to love, we have to be loving first. So the beautiful thing about this passage here is everybody, if you're a Christian, because of Jesus Christ, because of his person, because of his work on the cross, we now have the ability in confidence to be certainly bold about the fact that we can go near to God. We can draw near in faith. We can hold fast to the hope of our future and we can stir up one another to love and good works. That is the picture of the Christian conforming himself to the reality of what God has done and in ushering in the new covenant in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. Of course, there is another choice. You don't have to conform yourself to the reality of what God has done in Jesus Christ we can try to create our own world with our own standards, even when we know what Christ has done. You, you do realize that the writer to the Hebrews is talking to the people in the church. Even though they are well aware of what Christ has done, they are being tempted to go back, to, to make it a, a, applicable to us today, to the ways of the world, or to what they were used to, or what they were comfortable with. They're still, they're, they're tempted to live as if Christ hadn't come and won't come again. That's the reference to the, as the day comes. And I think we are tempted to think that, that it might work for a while. I think this is why part of the, the, the difficulty in this section that we're about to get to, the peril of turning your back on Jesus Christ, part of the difficulty with this is, we have a temptation to think that we can have it both ways. That we can have Jesus in the world. And the writer of the Hebrews says, you can't do that. God says it's actually very dangerous. So here's the second point. The peril of turning your back on the reality of what Jesus Christ has ushered in. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth... There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire 
And then he says, back in the old covenant. So he's going back to the old ways. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse then do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? And he ends it like this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, the first thing that I I do want you to understand this morning is do not confuse salvation with what it means to be in the covenant community. Or let's say it like this. Do not confuse what God has done in Christ for you and just going to church. As important as church going is, it can sometimes mean it doesn't have anything to do with salvation personally. There will always be people in the church, in this room, throughout the day, who say they are Christians who are not. So we're not talking about whether or not Christians sin. Of course they do. We're not talking about whether or not Christians struggle. Of course they do. We're talking about those people who have attached themselves to the community of God, but Jesus is just okay. It's just all right. I, I have a, a good illustration for you, I think. At least some people thought it was. When I was a young man in college, went away from, uh, went, went to school far away, and I would come home basically only in the summer times. I was raised by a single mom, and my mom was great. She was a godly woman. She prayed for me, and she was very concerned for my spiritual development. And when I'd come home in the summer times for a few weeks, we'd go out in my car, we'd drive around, go get groceries, go get clothes, spend some time together. And one of the things that my mom would do is she'd like to listen to what music I was listening to. Back then, I know this, I don't, I don't even, they were cassettes. They weren't eight tracks, they were cassettes. My mom would sift through the music that I would have and she'd take a cassette and she'd put it in the player and she'd listen to it and I'm thinking, oh no. One time she put in John Cougar Mellencamp and it was about that little ditty about Jack and Diane and before I knew it, she'd rolled down the window, she had ejected that cassette and sent it right out the window. She said, you shouldn't be listening to that. Another time she happened to pull out the Doobie Brothers And I was so happy when she put that cassette in there that the Doobie Brothers song playing was Jesus is just all right with me. And she listened to it. She kind of liked it. She said, that's not a bad song. I don't think she had any idea what Doobie meant, but she loved the song. And that is a really good song, right? I I, I don't know. You don't have to like it. But it was a, a good attempt at elevating Jesus in the world. But I have to tell you, If you're sitting here this morning and you're part of the community of God here at Redeemer, if Jesus is just all right with you, you haven't met the Jesus that's in this book. Jesus is much more than just all right. He is of great value. His death on the cross is powerful to save and change us, and God's grace is most important. The writer here is talking about three things very significantly or specifically. He's talking about someone who is trampling underfoot the Son of God, spurning the person of Christ, profaning the blood is about the work of redemption, not really thinking that you need to be redeemed, and despising God's grace. 
It's the person who talks like Jesus is important, but is pretending. Very appropriate for the world that we live in, because in this digital age, we see Christians all the time doing things that are not consistent with the faith, and we're not sure they're believers, and this is the reason why. It's not so much the person on the, the atheist on the street that the, that the writer of the Hebrews is worried about. He's worried about the people that are coming to worship and Jesus is just all right. And he says, if there were those in the Old Testament who didn't, didn't take God seriously and they died without hope, how much dangerous is it now if the real thing or the real person has truly come? That's the message this morning. We have a faithful high priest who's ushered in the new covenant and we can live in the power of what he's done. So don't go back. I've used this before. In fact, Hal and I didn't talk about this, but he quoted Milton uh, in, the, in the initial comments here this morning. And Paradise Lost is one of my favorite books tells of the fall of man and the coming of our Savior, and he speculates a lot about the conversations between Satan and the angels and Satan and Eve and, and all sorts of things. So realize this is speculation. This is, not, this is not necessarily true. But in the book, when Satan considers the possibility of repentance, he decides against it. And he decides against it because he knows himself well enough that even if he was restored to heaven, he'd just do the same thing again. His pride wouldn't allow him to believe in the redemptive power of God's grace and love seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He thought he was above it. He thought he didn't need it. He wanted to create his own reality rather than be conformed to the reality of what God is doing. Like I said, I, I don't know if that's what was going, I, I really don't know if that, that's what was going through Satan's mind or not. But the point is this. If we are so sure of ourselves and our own abilities to create a world in which we're happy, if that is all that matters to us, then we'll never see our need for the blood of Christ. And we don't, if we don't meet God at the last day covered in the blood, then we will meet him in our own way. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God without Jesus Christ. The good news is this, we don't have to. Everybody here, regardless of where you are, because Jesus Christ has come, because Christ is alive, because he's died for us, he's taken that judgment on himself. He now lives in our behalf and he's the one that enables us to enter in with faith and hope and love. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, in the here and now, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is freely offered not only to unbelievers one time, but the gospel is offered every day to you and, and I, and we need to enter into it boldly, going into the presence of God, hoping and, and, and fixing fast our hope because we know our, our future is secure, and then really involving ourselves in one another's lives to stir us up, to encourage one another so that we can show the world that what we have is real. For those who already have Jesus Christ, don't let go and keep following Christ. 
And if you don't have him, would God work right now, show you your need, and you can even this morning crawl right up on your heavenly father's lap, and you can simply say, heavenly father, I love you because now I know you first loved me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is alive and well, and the writer to the Hebrews and God himself wants us to enter into it, and that's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, ah, we do thank you for the beauty and the power of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that these things are real, these things are true. Help us to believe them more. Help us to enter into them more and help us to love one another. Father, work now as we come to the table and see your love for us in these emblems of our faith, the bread and the wine. In Jesus' name, amen.